Hello, Oak. Hello, good to see you all. Um, you may not know me. I, I feel like I know this church. Uh, I've been a few times, and it's been really great to be here. I've prophesied in this room a few times over many of you. So there's lots of lovely faces that I recognize. Uh, hi to the youth group that are in. Special guests on the VIP sofas, or whatever it is you're sat on. <laughs> you should be on the sofas, if not. Um, and... Uh, but this, what I'm really excited by is since the last time I was here, there are many new faces. That really encourages me that the church is growing, that you're um, fulfilling your mandate uh, in the kingdom to be a welcoming space, a place where community can thrive and the love of God can be passed on to one another. So I'm just so excited to see the church growing. And uh, if you don't know me, please come and chat with me later. I do love uh, meeting new people. So, um, really exciting to be with you. I'm going to set myself a timer to be disciplined. <laughs> it's on. <laughs> um, we are continuing, oh, I'm continuing with you, uh, your series on the kingdom. What a great topic to be uh, looking at. I have also to confess that I find the kingdom a bit confusing. Anyone else? It's all right, you can be honest. Oh, no, really. The, the kingdom's hard to define, isn't it? We know it exists, but we can't see it. We know um, it's a place that we want to be in. It's not always easy to know how to get there. Anyone else feel like that? And we're not always quite sure when it's among us. Does that make sense? So is anyone else honest enough to say the kingdom's a bit confusing? Great. (laughs) There we go. I totally uh, believe in being really honest with God and with one another. Uh, It's all right for you to be like, or you can nod and agree with me as we go through. But this series on the kingdom, what's really touched me as I've listened to some of your previous speakers speaking on it, um, I really just wanted to encourage you that I've been genuinely moved to hear the the series of talks that you've been going through in your previous series and and this one. I feel like God's been laying some uh, new building work on top of something that was already very healthy I feel like since the last time I was here, I can feel there's been a a sense of growth. Obviously, you being the oak, that makes sense. But I feel like there's been um, something that's about to burst forth. There's there's an excitement in the room as I'm stood here, as I'm listening spiritually. I believe that there's a bursting forth coming for you as a church. Um, I was genuinely moved to hear Jack say that his uh, verse of the year this year is that you want to embody being blessed. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit and to dwell on that this year, to become more and more dependent on God. I feel as I've been listening that there's there's faith in the room for something new and different. I feel like God wants to take you where you've not been before as a body. And... I hear a genuine hunger for more of God, and God loves to fill the hungry. And I hear a genuine willingness to step into discomfort to receive the more of the kingdom that he has for you. And I'm really pleased to hear that, because I'm speaking a bit about what it looks like today, the theme of when the kingdom comes, it brings about righteousness and justice and liberty for the poor and the oppressed. So those who, um, we'll, we'll talk about what it is to be poor in a moment, but I want to encourage you that the, that the kingdom is already among you. 
And as you're hungry and as you're willing to step out of your comfort zones, you will see more. I feel like there's a bursting forth. And I, I just wanted to give you a verse of scripture, Luke 6, 38. Um, I felt specifically as I was here this morning that God just wants to say, this is my promise to you. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And as I've watched you give away people for church planting, as I've watched you raise money uh, to purchase this building, I've, I've, I've listened to you pour out. And I've, what I think I'm sensing a bit of today is some of what God's been pouring back in. But I feel like there's another step up in terms of that. There'll be a bursting forth. I don't know if it's people or ministries. Um, I, I might need to ruminate on that a bit more and maybe send Andrew some emails about it. But that's just what I felt like I had for you specifically as a church. I hope that's all right to bring that. Today we're just going to focus on really one section of scripture, but there's so much richness in it. We're looking at Luke 4, 18 to 21. And it's a hugely significant moment when Jesus stands up to read from the book of Isaiah 61. And I think we need to understand why it's such a significant moment. Because, you know, of course, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. It is God himself poured into a human. The kingdom itself poured into a person. The very word of God himself fresh out of the wilderness, full of the spirit. Jesus stands in the synagogue in his hometown. He's invited to read from the scrolls and he very deliberately chooses this passage. And I think that's very significant. And I believe what's going on here is I think what we're seeing is we're seeing Jesus take on the mantle for his own public ministry. I feel like this is like the standing up under, here I am and this is what I've come to do. And it's the fulfillment of a 700-year-old prophecy, this moment. And I, you know, at this point, God could have said anything to humankind. Here's what I'm here to do, oh, big voice. But what did he say he was coming to do? He said, of course, he was coming to proclaim good news to the poor. There are many facets to the cross and what he did for us. He could have said anything in that moment, but what was he here to accomplish? He wanted to lift the poor and the oppressed out of the ash heap and seat them among princes. And I believe the sequence of events that happen in Luke 4, quite interesting, so I don't know if you know, but often the gospels are not written chronologically. Um, and Luke, in particular, he's hearing a second-hand account, and he's putting stories together deliberately along themes to make a point. And so the chapter of Luke 4 is very interesting, the sequence of events that Luke gives us. So you have Jesus being tested in the wilderness. And I believe, of course, we see this hugely significant moment of the kingdom bursting forth and Jesus saying, I'm here, and the kingdom is now. It's repent and believe, for it's here but I believe that he could only see that kingdom breakthrough because of some of the personal victories he'd won in the desert beforehand. You see, what was going on, just to set some context, is the devil's testing three things, very significant things, 
And of course, they echo what was going on for uh, God's people, the Israelites. I haven't got time to go into that today, but the devil tests, firstly, will Jesus act outside of the will of God uh, based on his own fleshly desires? Are Jesus' fleshly, desire, fleshly desires under the authority of God? Is God on the throne? He wants uh, Jesus to turn stones into bread and meet his own need. But Jesus is like, no, I'm not going to meet my own need. I trust in the words of God. Secondly, he uh, is tempted to give in to the fleshly desire for fame and inheritance and power. I always think this is such a foolish thing that the devil does. Here's some land and some fame and honor, and Jesus has all that already. That land belongs to me. <laughs> I made it. Like, this is such a strange thing. But in that moment when Jesus is very weak, it might have been really easy for him to fall into error. And how often is it easy for us to uh, think we know what God has said, and then in a, a small moment of fleshly testing, we can slip out of that way of thinking and into another way of thinking. And again, just lastly, we see that his fleshly desire to escape suffering is tested. I hope that you noticed that at the end there. Now, of course, the devil wants Jesus to commit suicide at this point. We don't know if it's a physical or it's just a mental game that he's playing with Jesus, but he wants him to throw himself off the temple. Oh, Jesus, you know, God's going to catch you. He'll send his angels. And this moment of, will he want to escape suffering? Will he want to end it all and just get it over with and make things a bit more comfortable? Of course, in a few moments later, it seems like, as we read it, angels do come and minister to him. But in that moment, he needed to refuse those thoughts that were from the devil. And I believe it's this battle with the devil, this personal victory that he'd won on a number of different occasions over his fleshly desires, uh, that were able, that he was able to be in control of those things and therefore have God fully on the throne of his life that allowed the kingdom to fully break out in a, in a few moments later. And so I want to try and help connect for us. You know, we live a life of grace. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. We can do as Christians anything. We're under grace. But not everything does us good, and not everything does our community good. You see, there are battles that you will have to fight in your own life for personal victory over certain things that are actually about meeting a need in your community, that are actually about meeting needs in your family, that are actually about you being a witness and an open vessel for the kingdom to flow through for other people. Yes, we can live our lives, technically, however we please. It is outrageous grace, but not everything is good for us to do so. And I have felt so convicted about some of this, which I'll share later, but let us just see this moment in the synagogue as he stands up very intentionally to read this passage and here's what he says. And you can, uh, these are very familiar words for some of you if you've been Christian a while. So if you want to read along with me, you're welcome. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me 
to proclaim good news to the poor. In fact, I am actually going to ask you to read that with me because I feel like you need to hear it as you say it as a church, that the anointing of the Lord is on you to be good news to the poor. So I'm going to be a little bit bossy and ask you to read it with me. That was a nice suggestion, wasn't it, initially, but no one joined in. So I realise I'm just going to need to be a bit clearer. So join in with me. This anointing is for you and on you as a church. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Great, stop there. And the next bit just goes on to say, and Jesus rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, meaning his work for the day was complete. (laughs) I love that. I'm done now. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. What an amazingly profound and intimate moment that we're seeing Jesus receive the mantle of blessing from his father, but the, the mantle of work. A mantle was like a coat or a cloak, and you would receive it if you had a particular... We know with Elijah, he passed his mantle to Elisha was receiving something about ministry from the Father here. And he's standing up under it and saying, this is now what I'm about and what I'm here to do. And I have to encourage you, he was here to live out the rule and reign on the earth and and expand the kingdom. And he did so through proclamation and proximity because of personal victory. And they're the three things we're going to look at today. But here's what I just want to say before we move on any further. If you are struggling a bit to know the relevance for your own life. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then if you're a disciple, disciples are becoming like their master. And so if this was your master's mantle, then this is a coat that you are meant to wear also. So this is a mantle for you. And I've had to say this a number of times, perhaps it's just that I'm northern and I like to you know, be clear, but I, I've just noticed that sometimes we can be very up in our heads about the Bible and not really think, actually, this is for me. This is about me and I am involved in this. And so I just want to encourage you that if you're not feeling called to love or care for the poor, I want to just gently push you slightly to realize, no, this call is for you. It is for all of us. And I am uh, an example of someone who's had to go on this journey, <laughs> that God's had to teach me this and humble me in a number of different ways. So firstly, we're going to look at how Jesus came with proclamation and proximity And as I've said already, I think there's a connection between our ability to proclaim and declare and show and demonstrate the good news to those that need to hear it. So that proclamation and proximity to those that need to hear it, i.e. to extend the kingdom. There's a connection between our ability to do this and personal victories that we need to win as individuals and as a corporate gathering, as a church together. So firstly, proclamation proximity. 
Of course, Jesus says that word proclaim three times. He doesn't want us to miss that. If it's in Isaiah, it's he's reading these words. But proclamation was at the heart of what he'd come to do. It was how he was going to obey his mandate. It's going to how he was going to work it out was about proclamation. Proclaiming, that's not just words, that's actions also. You see, the Jewish understanding is not our enlightenment understanding in the West, where we can think something, therefore I've achieved it. I've had the thought, I'm done. It was much more like, I've had the thought, if I don't carry it out quickly, I'm a fraud. Proclamation is not about having this nice thought, and yes, I agree with this. It is doing it also. And I think what is absolutely incredible is we're watching Jesus, the creator, back creating again. Jesus comes and proclaims with his mouth new realities for the poor. He speaks out words and he activates the kingdom because he draws people up to a new standard of living. But he doesn't just draw them with a, here's some nice things to think about. No, here's what we need to go away and do together. And what did he say he was here to proclaim good news to the poor? Who are the poor? And sometimes we struggle with this, don't we? Like, I'm not sure I know many poor people. I'm not sure I know how to help. Well, I found this translation of, of the word poor in that, in that section of scripture. The Greek word simply means one who crouches and cowers. The poor are those who are bent over or crippled by the circumstances of life. They're struggling with the weight of the cost of living crisis. They're struggling with mental health issues. They're struggling with their relationships that don't seem to be working around them. They're struggling with a difficult addiction or even a soft addiction. You know, there are often levels of addiction and we tend to focus on the big ones. Well, I don't have any of those going on in my life, but I can never get off my phone. I can never stop eating sugar. And let's not talk about caffeine. Um, but when the kingdom... <laughs> just like my laughing force over here. They're just going to laugh at all my uh, funny moments. That's why I bring them. It's just really good. <laughs> And when the kingdom comes, Jesus is saying, I'm here to administer justice to those people. I'm here to lift them out of what they're crouching and cowering over into dignified sonship and relationship with me. And that can mean a whole range of people. But here's what we see in Luke's account, what he connects together, his personal victories won in the desert, to this moment where he stands up and says, here's what I'm here to do, and here's the moment when he starts acting it out. Here are the following stories that we see. We see a man set free from demons in the next town in a synagogue. We see many healings of the sick in the next few chapters. And then go on a bit further, he feeds the hungry. Oh, I'm breathing too hard. Stop being so animated. <laughs> oh, i doing it again. Um, but here's a very interesting thing that he also does. Is he calls the rich away from their wealth and their greed. He talks to tax collectors 
and says, you are just as poor because you cannot stop thinking you have to be dependent on yourself to earn and strive and hoard up for yourself. And he says it over and over and over again. Jesus talks about money a lot in his ministry. He calls the poor, the, the poor in spirit, the ones that are crunched over, have to earn for myself into, oh, I can let go and trust that God will provide for me. And I'm going to look at a couple of occasions when that happens in a moment. He also speaks to prostitutes, those who have had a hard hand dealt to them through their whole life. He proclaims another way of thinking. This is not the only way. This is not the only way you need affection. This is not the only way you are worth something. This is not the only way that you can earn a living. Come and follow me and be in dignified sonship, daughtership with your father. And I will provide for you. As he's declaring forth new realities with his word, he wants to draw them away from the things that he has had to fight his own personal victories over. Do you see what's happening? Free people can free people because they've understood what it's meant to walk away from something that's holding them, that's tempting them, and say no in order to give the courage to other people to do it as well. So we see that his proclamation was married with his proximity. You see, he was very involved in people's lives. Didn't do it through social media. Here's something I think, send. Yes, there we go, I've embodied that. It was much more about, no, I'm going to go and be within earshot of those that need to hear this. And I promise you, you will see kingdom extension. I do believe God works through social media. I work in comms, that's my background, that's most of what I do during the week. Totally believe in that vehicle. But I also know I'm a fraud if I never do it with people in proximity to me, within earshot of me. Jesus could not have fulfilled his mandate without speaking within earshot of the poor, and neither can we. I'm just aware of the time, and so I'm going to just collapse some of my own story, but I grew up with um, a mum who was... You know, she'd been in a circumstance quite poor in her life. And I think because of that, she wanted to compensate for her own children. She gave us, gave plenty. I was our only daughter, uh, the only child. And so I just received lots of stuff. And I loved that. That was great. Um, and, but it kind of led to this whole, well, I get to live life my own way. Things are easy. I'm just going to carry on, do what I want to do. And, but after uni, um, God began to speak to me about a dream I'd had in my personal life of moving to posh London to go and be a swanky graphic designer. And instead, God called me to really, really not posh hull. <laughs> Whoop! And uh, I got, uh, God spoke to me really clearly in a dream where um, the city of Hull, this, the football team is called the Tigers, and um, I had a dream where all of us were in the garden, John and I, with lots and lots of children. All of us had our faces painted like tigers. And I woke up out of the dream with the words, whole city, really clearly. And I was just like, oh, no. 
And so I um, moved back from uni, I got married to John, who'd been dating long distance. He was living on a really tough estate in Hull. And I moved into that really tough estate, and I must have cried for about the first three days of our married lives. Poor John. And I just I found living there really, really hard. I couldn't handle the discomfort of living among chaotic and desperate people who would rather have big screen TVs than put nappies on the children. I had to stop a few, at uh, once I stopped a little child of about two or three, no parents anywhere nearby, out in the street drinking from a puddle in the ground. And I, I, I just couldn't handle it. I was like, I do not want to bring children up here. And I insisted that we moved away, which we did. Um, but whilst living in a nice area, I got really bored. Jesus showed me how much less the people in that nicer area needed him or wanted him because they had all their nice stuff. To really shine for him, I began to realize I needed to be within earshot of those that really needed to hear the good news and really wanted a different way out. And so five or six years ago, well, seven now, we took a wonderful team out of where we were um, in Jubilee and Hull and planted a new church in the more industrial working class part of the city, which is where we live and go to school, all within oh, about <laughs> very, very small area is where I spend most of my life. And um, I, but I just have begun to realize what it is to live within earshot of those that really need to hear Jesus. So I've just got a couple of stories to share with you. Um, one was of a guy who came into our food bank session. And this is a story of it literally happening. A, a lady had... Um, felt the night before that God wanted her to pray for someone with a deaf ear. And um, she was terrified, but really plucked up the courage the next time somebody the next day walked into food bank with um, three broken bones in their ear, couldn't hear in one side, had been, broken, had been um, not able to hear for the last couple of years. And as she plucked up the courage, she was like shaking, um, but declared a new reality of what is possible in the kingdom of God. I speak healing over you in the name of Jesus. It wasn't more complicated than that. His ear instantly opened. He began to get incredibly hot. He perspired. He started to cry. It was a snotty, horrible mess. But he was like, I can hear her pointing at the back of the room. I've not been able to do that for years. And, um, and then since then, he was, and we invited him to read the Bible with us and started to open the scripture about what Jesus is like, started to proclaim the good news to him through letting the, letting the scriptures themselves be his teacher. And uh, he just beat our door down. He was always at church. He wanted to come to every meeting. And, and he, we since baptized him. And he then started sharing a little bit with his family. And one of um, his daughter's boyfriends got baptized recently as well. And there was another person that um, just had really set their stall out against God, but for some reason just wanted a spiritual experience and was coming to church. But I already knew that this person was involved in witchcraft, and I'd been encouraging this person, there's a different power, a far better one. I want to show you Jesus. But they were quite resistant, understandably, having set up a massive idol in their life, um, a massive block, which is witchcraft or the occult. And... Uh, as they were sat in this meeting, I was hosting one day, and I was just looking around the room. I think I was praying under my breath. And I sort of locked eyes with this person, and they jumped back in their chair, 
I was like, okay, that's a bit odd. And I asked them about it afterwards. I was like, what, what went on for you? And they were like, what did you do? Did you curse me? I was like, doesn't work like that here. Um, no, I was praying good things over everybody, praying for God's blessing and his kingdom to come in their lives. And, and they were like, I don't know what you did, but as you looked at me, all the pain in my body left. And they come in with like shoulder pain and long-term stomach issues. And since they have not turned to Jesus, they cannot let go of the witchcraft. So that's not always a happy ending, but I saw God move in their lives. I saw the kingdom come in a moment. And this is what can happen when we start to declare who God is. I'm aware of time. But I want to make an important connection for us about personal victory in our own lives as individuals and also corporately. There's a link between our inner condition and kingdom outbreak. Jesus said in John 14, 30, the ruler of this world approaches, but he has no power over me. In other translations, it says he has no claim on me or he has nothing in me, implying that every door to the kingdom of darkness was closed. There was no territory in Jesus' heart and mind that was given over to Satan that could possibly have sullied his anointing to bring the kingdom. In James 5.16, it says, the prayer of a righteous man has great power to prevail. And for us too, there's a link between our inner condition and our ability to master the fleshly desires that often move us out of being quite under the king's rule. And I have to just stand here before you as someone who's not perfect at this. I am in the trenches with you. (laughs) But I have an increasing desire to see more of the kingdom in my life and in those that I pray for. And I've been on a journey in the last several years to improve my dependence on God. And something that God recently put his finger on in my life is, Abby, you are too rich. I'm not. I give away away 10th of my income. It's funny how we can start justifying things to ourselves. But I felt like the he didn't say it as a condemning thing. It was like an exciting challenge. I'm like, ooh, let's do this area of your life now. <laughs> let's tidy up this room. And I'm like, great. Um, but I felt like the invitation was to embrace being a little bit poorer so that I was a little bit more needy for him. And I felt like he led me to a story of Zacchaeus where Zacchaeus stands before Jesus having been treated with utmost kindness and received grace and mercy and love, even in his broken condition. But what was his response? Very interesting that this has never stood out to me before. But Zacchaeus decides, Lord, I will give away half my possessions. And I will repay fourfold what I have cheated anyone. He actually says, I will give half away my possessions and I will give to the poor. Because what he realized was, I think he realized that in the kingdom of heaven, as the kingdom came into his household, came into his life, oh, I'm standing above a lot of other people and I have a lot I could give away. I have a lot. And his heart response was to realize, I think what I have realized recently, you know, when we go to heaven... People in the UK will stand next to people from Iran where it's not okay to be a Christian. So I know as a woman, I will stand next to women from Iran 
who've had to, I'm stepping out of my box, sorry, who've had to face every day the decision, am I going to go and talk about Jesus today or will the threat of rape and death and torture frighten me into silence? And they have to decide that every day. I'm going to stand next to that woman. And I realize I, I did a wealth check online. If you're interested, I'll give you more details about this. That I personally, in my income, I work four days a week. In my income, I, on my own, not with the rest of my household, I'm in the top 25% of the whole world in terms of riches, which means, do the math, what's 20, 100 take away 25? 75. 75. So 75% of people in heaven will not have had as much as I have. And I start to realize I've got quite a lot that I could probably do. And I'm starting to be like, God, that's a target I want to meet. And so I'm on a slow, very slow, sorry, Lord, ambition to personally reduce about half of my possessions. I'm selling things in order to generate income for other people. I'm giving to a number of charities that are, I just recommend Acts 435, who will literally take your money and buy a washing machine or someone for someone that needs it. And churches are using that to to pay for the needs in their local community. So this is something that I have just been super convicted about. And it's something that's very interesting that John the Baptist prepares people. He says, before Jesus arrives, he says, get ready, the kingdom's about to break out. Get yourselves, get your houses in order. And they come to him and go, okay, what does that practically look like? And he says to them, if you have two shirts and your neighbor needs one, give one away. And if you have food, do the same also. Now, what does that teach us? It's not give them everything. It's if you've got excess, get rid of it so that other people can benefit. Corporately, I just want to give you an example of what it looks like when the kingdom comes and believers embrace becoming poorer for the sake of others and dependence on God and helping those whose lives have less. So in Acts 2, 32 to 47, you may have read this many times. They voted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's a practical question. How do you think it came about that there were no poor among them? I suspect there were two things that happened practically. Firstly, those who were in need spoke up. You might be the person that needs one of those shirts. That's all right. You should talk about that with your church family. It's okay. You should talk about. If we don't know how you're doing, how can we help? Secondly, it's likely that those who had a lot 
gave away what they had so that other people could benefit. And I want to just bring that gentle challenge to you. I don't know what the demographic of your community is like, but mine is not great. I live among people, again, I'm grateful that God's brought me into proximity with many people who have very little and had, a, had very little before the cost of living crisis began to hit. And so, how does God extend the kingdom and justice to the poor, usually through us? He can do anything he wants. He can pluck and you know, create bank bills out of the sky if he wants to, but if you've never read that story, go to Pete Gregg's Dirty Glory, because that is an absolutely incredible story that he actually produces uh, many banknotes in somebody's cupboard. <laughs> he can do whatever he wants, but on the whole, I would say like the 95 to 98% of the time, he wants to do it through his people. He wants our wealth and generosity to flow like a river, not a stagnant pool that sits in our bank account. And we can do nothing with it because it's tied up in assets. Or, and I know, I know what I'm saying is hard. I know it's a big challenge. I'm dealing with it. <laughs> I've had to move slowly. Okay, God, yes, you can have this. I, I, I used to love to collect antique things. I'm like, a bit like that. Why? <laughs> you know, I, I've got some nice pictures on the wall. Why? I'm starting to see, actually, if I choose to hang on to these things, what I'm saying is, no, God, you can't have them. No, God, I won't meet the needs of someone over here that really needs to have that met. And so just practically, I think what we'll do is we'll just spend a moment. I want you just to close your eyes. I'm going to land us here, I think, now, if that's okay. I want you to just spend a moment assessing, do you have more of something than you really need? So you've got one pair of feet. How many shoes do you need? You've got one back. How many coats do you need? Now, I accept there are many seasons in the UK, so I think that's legitimate to need more than one. But could you reduce what you have in order to benefit someone else? Is there any way you could practice becoming a little poorer this year so that others can be a little richer? It could look like selling something, giving away the money, having a car boot sale. It could be giving to charity, taking your stuff to a charity shop. But here's what I want you to do to ask Jesus the question is, I want you to imagine you are Zacchaeus. And I want you to take a moment of quiet and in the presence of his love as you straighten up into dignified sonship, knowing, and daughtership, <laughs> dignified relationship, knowing my father provides for everything I need. The well never runs dry. Therefore, what will I trust him with? How do I need to position myself in humility? And I just want to encourage the young people, if you can grasp this now, you will save yourself so much heartache and sluggish running through life. So what is it Jesus wants to say to you as you stand before him like Zacchaeus this morning?